We're back at Moniker Art Fair. We're rolling. John, what's your uh, what's one of your favorite exhibitions of the show so far? You know, I, there's a. I think it's hard to choose just one. I think there's a lot of awesome work up there. I love the, you know, obviously I like the one, the wooden panels of Lee, of Lee Hill. I love the uh, the butterfly by Derek Gores that's up there. I like um, the whole pork chop ceramics, um, and then I love um, Dale Grimshaw's work. So uh, I think there's a lot of great stuff to be seen here. How about you, bike girl? Oh gosh, um, I love the pork chop pieces. Those are so cool. Um, I love Lee Hill's installation. Um, that's I think the second one because you also he also did one down in Chinatown. Mm. So he needs to do more installation work around the city. We don't yeah. get enough. Yeah, there's the one that's in that theater. Um, well, the I pick movie theater. Right. Speaking yeah. about Lee Hill, he is oh, our guest <laughs> here today on the podcast. Welcome. Hello. Um, I want to jump right into it. Um, Erica could probably tell you when when we stood in front of your piece in the better in the past, but I, I remember distinctly two years ago at Bushwick Collective, you did a very very striking, mostly black and white piece. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it was an image of uh, on the all black side. So it was basically a wall that I split in two. Left side was black, right side was white. I was working on two different series at the time. One with the uh, black backgrounds mostly and figures in motion and it was kind of dealing with the psychological effects of capitalism and on the right side which was all white was another part of another series I was working on called Carbon and that one was all about the ecological effects and that was actually the first wall where I ever combined the two themes together and I kind of saw them as like clashing with each other but dealing with the same sort of issues, dealing with the change of environment. And so I split the wall in two, and I had this um, figure of a World War I soldier who was actually, he had a bayonet in his hand, but I took out the bayonet, and he was kind of like charging forward. And um, I cut his head off on the split, and on the other side I had multiple exposure deer that was also kind of going in for like a, a ram, a ram butt, a head butt. And I also cut his head off, so it had that feeling like the two were at odds with each other and clashing. How did I line. know that was going to be my favorite piece, John? What did you say? You you didn't know that that was going to be your favorite? No. How did I know that was the first time you put that together and did that? And it was amazing. It would be one of your favorites. You just are the smartest man in the room, I think. But <laughs> I'm the least art knowledgeable, so it works out sometimes. I get lucky. I got lucky there. You got lucky. Well, thank you. So, oh, before that, you you had most some the black series and a white series, and Pretty now much. and now you're uh, and now the twain have meet. Exactly. Oh, he's gone full color again now lately. I've gone full color oh. lately. I've yeah, changed it up. I've been black and white. I was doing black and white work for maybe like four years, five years prior, and uh, I slowly was turning into monochromatic cro- um, color mixes, and then. Eventually, I just went full color to change it up. I was just getting a little bored of the same color schemes always. So I think the first piece thing anyone notices when they see your work is the motion, the energy. Because you seem to be all about making the pieces fly off the walls. You told me one time about what that really means and what you're trying to say with that energy. What did I say? Well, you told (laughs) us. You told me. That humans are just moving too fast for the natural world, that we're speeding everything into extinction. That it's not necessarily that we're doing the wrong thing, we're just doing it too quickly, so we're not allowing the world to catch up. Is that still 
Is that close? Yes, that's very, very close. That's one of the main essence of what I'm trying to capture, which I think is the pace. The pace at which our society is moving is so quick that we're not able to see it retrospectively. We're not able to catch up with the implications of everything we're doing. And because it's on such a grand scale, the effect is so large that the impact is astronomical. Right. Now we look at climate change as a perfect example of it. We're moving so fast for so many of us to the point that we're changing things in our own time scale. I think that shows that, you know, once you know that, it it comes across so well in your work. Because, like I said, it's the energy. It's the motion. Your pieces fly. And actually, what's interesting is I'd say that's maybe the secondary part of why I started doing motion. I think one of the first parts is literally... I like the idea of solidifying motion. I like that idea that something that still can feel like it's moving. And the more that I thought about that, the more I realized it's almost like trying to trap it. In a way, music is like that. It's encapsulating energy. And there's something about creating an art piece that encapsulates energy that's trying to give that energy to other people. And the more I was doing it, the more I realized a a big part of me was wanting to just pass my energy on to other people so that they feel they have the ability to change the things around them. Because I think in our world, part of that pace is it's exhausting. And it's so hard to feel like you have the energy to make that change that you want to see in the world. And I guess the altruistic side of me is wanting to be able to, to give that energy to other people and allow them to change it. I love it. I also love the, uh, the animals. Not to sound silly, but when you, you the way so you, do I. <laughs> yeah, I mean the way you portray energy and movement and stuff like that. You're not doing it with comic book blur lines and stuff like that. You're not, you're not just you know putting wind in the back of something that's moving to say, oh, I'm moving quick. No, you feel it. That piece upstairs is stunning. Thank you. Stunning. Thank you. How long does something like that take to come together after concept is done, obviously? Well, I mean, that's always a very tough question because it took me my whole life to get to the point that I'm at now to be able to paint the way that I do. Um, Having said that, the actual execution is maybe about three days, four days. But that's that's me literally honing my whole life to get to that point where I have the confidence to make all those strokes, to mix the color the exact way it needs to be, and to be able to paint that quickly. So are you classically trained? Yes and no. I would say that I, I did go to art school. I did uh, one year of art school in the Ontario College of Art and Design, which is the main art school in Toronto. But I was doing graffiti much before that. And the whole time I was in art school, I was showing paintings. I was painting on the street. I was doing a lot of other things. And then I left and I traveled to Europe for two years. And I, I would say I actually learned most of my ability by going to museums and I would pick my favorite painting and I would just draw it. And I'd spend all day in the museum sitting in front of a Van Gogh or a Rembrandt or something and I'd just copy it and learn about composition and draftsmanship. And then um, after one year of that, I went to Australia and I met a graffiti crew there called the AWOL crew. Oh, yeah. Was, we I know AWOL stuff. Yeah. And it was really... I f- I f- it felt super serendipitous in the sense that I was able to... Um, is that better? Okay. Thank you. Sorry. No, no, no problem. Uh, I was able to bring them into the fine art world. They'd never painted canvases before. And I'd stopped painting walls for about a year. And they brought me back into the graffiti scene. And I was, like, painting tunnels. And it was actually the very start of doing uh, what I would call now, like, production street art murals in the sense that 
we had graffiti pieces, we had characters, we would combine color schemes, and it had been done before, obviously by McLean crew and a lot of other people, but it was the first time that I'd say like my generation, like me and my friends, were starting to think of art in that way. And it was a really nice like push back and pull pull back between each other. I was bringing the fine art world, they were bringing me back into the graffiti world. And uh, we did a couple art shows and I went back to art school and finished my degree. But art school really taught me how to think about my work and how to contextualize it and see it in a broader picture. How to actually paint and draw, I would say I'm self-taught. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously if you use spray, you have to be because it's only exactly. recently that sprays even in art schools. Exactly, exactly. And it's such a different technique. Lee, I was thrilled to hear about your sourcing of materials. I would love mm. to tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so one of my biggest things is uh, is trying to recycle as much of the material as I get. I'm, I feel like the art industry, it's a really tough one that it almost gets a pass always. It's just like, oh, it's a creative industry. It's, it's totally progressive. But there's tons of waste. There's tons of an environmental impact that's involved within it. And one of the things that I do is all my installs is reclaimed wood from, um, from different sites. All my installs get reused. Uh, and all the surfaces that I'm painting on are like cardboard or foam core that I resource from different places. And all my new series are tying in now to climate change. So that adds another layer into all of it. And I actually started in art school because I was so... I was a little bit broke at the time and I just... I was sick of always you go to class and it'd be like, you got to go paint on this canvas. And it was like, I'd walk by the garbage and it'd be like, you know, pieces of wood or like all these, all these things that were just being thrown out. And it's like a canvas is just a state of mind. Anything can be painted on. And graffiti was one great thing that taught me that. And it's like, you can literally walk outside and find a way more interesting canvas than you can if you just walk into an art store and pay 80 bucks for a canvas. Hey, Big Ronnie, we have a, uh, a special visitor from uh Boston, our youngest uh, sold magazine contributor, Jason, uh, known as the Kiddest, and he's got a question for Lee Hill. So, Lee, um, which art do you feel more connected to, the graffiti world or the fine art world? Which Good. one am I connected to? More connected to. More connected to. Ooh, that's a tough one, man. I'd, I'd like to say I'm really trying to walk this line that's between both worlds. I don't... I feel like there's both... Both the worlds have an amazing thing to contribute to society. Um, I would say I'm like slightly more pulled towards the graffiti world just in my passion and what I care about. There's so many things within that world that I think are so beautiful and amazing, such as the fact that you don't have to try and go see it. You can stumble upon it. There's like thousands of people that will see something that would never feel comfortable walking to an art gallery or a museum that are incredibly like institutionalized and somewhat elitist and it's it is very democratic in the sense that anyone who walks by can feel how they feel about it and it's not it doesn't belong to anybody like that's a part of my heart that i that i feel when i'm making it and i really appreciate that but it's it's hard now because the street art world has has morphed into something very different and those same tools are being used by a lot of people for also dark reasons the same as the the art world is like a way for pharmaceutical companies to wash their hands of their money and feel like they're they're being philanthropic 
Also, you know, you'll have getting a little deep with a kid. Developers. I know. I'm getting getting a little deep with a kid. You got to drop the knowledge, man. You got to tell them. I got it. Exactly. He understands. You got to. You got to teach them young, man. Uh, I vote that was the best first podcast question ever. Anyone second it? Best first podcast question ever. Very good. Well, Lee, before we let you go, and we have to wrap up, they're about to have a talk. Okay. Um, can you please give our listeners and your fans just a reminder on where they can find your work online? Uh, they can find it at uh, leehill.com, which is L-I-H-I-L-L.com, or on Instagram, which is probably more up-to-date at L-I underscore H-I-L-L. Where's the name come from? Uh, it's my last name. Oh. So it's Aaron Lee Hill is my full name. I chose Lee Hill because I felt like it kind of um, it signified the hybrid style that I kind of have. I'm half Chinese and half Austrian slash English, and so that the name to me kind of signifies. signifies so wherever that. you can throw a slash or a dash, you're in. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like adding on superpowers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any last questions for Lee Hill, guys? Oh, I. There's so many questions. I know, so I but think we, we're, we're, keeping, we're keeping them quick. Yeah, at Monica. exactly. I mean, all we right. could keep him here all afternoon. <laughs> all right, we are sold out with Lee Hill. Thank you. All brother. right, thank, thank you, guys. You.